Well, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing a, a mini-series uh, looking at mental health, uh, mental health matters, and uh, in this particular sermon, I want to zero in particularly on the whole uh, issue of depression and how uh, biblical wisdom can help us navigate um, times of depression. Um, I've uh, gone through a journey on this myself, so this is not, I'm not speaking, this is about the only sermon I'm doing in the series, actually we've got a guest speaker, uh, and Jen's going to be sharing some stuff next week, but um, I feel qualified to talk about this one, there's a whole bunch of mental health stuff uh, I don't feel particularly qualified to speak on, Um, but uh, in my family line, um, there has been uh, real problems with depression. Uh, My grandmother, uh, who I've never met, took her life um, after struggling with postnatal depression, um, and went through all sorts of um, horrific treatment at that particular point, electric shock treatment and all sorts of things. And, um, and then my uncle took his life uh, about five or six years ago, um, again, struggling with depression a whole lot. Um, my mum has struggled with depression but has never been on medication, and she's been an amazing sort of combo breaker, I think, for our family line. Uh, and she uh, would just speak prayers and declarations over herself and our family, and she did all the right things when it came to those days where the black dog was barking. Um, but uh, I've definitely felt uh, at times the um, uh, vulnerability I have mentally to, um, to go into places of depression, and so I have to work pretty hard. Um, and I think part of that may be um, genetics in terms of our family line or whatever, but I do have to work pretty hard on all that stuff. Now, um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but statistically I know that um, a whole lot of uh, us will struggle with mental health to varying degrees. Um, And can I just say that if you haven't, um, I would love you to keep real quiet about what your advice is, (laughs) Uh, because uh, I was talking to actually a friend of mine and. um, uh, and uh, another pastor friend of mine who pastors a church in another center. And he had never struggled with depression before until uh, about a year ago. And before that, he had very strong opinions about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, you're all a bit soft and all that sort of stuff. And he was a tough guy, like, you know, strong leader. And then he uh, started uh, getting uh, wrestling with depression. And uh, he realized that all his theories were absolute crap. <laughs> and, uh, and actually... Um, and so uh, it's, a, it's a real, it's a, uh, um, you know, people say it's a bit of an epidemic um, in the world today. And um, the reality is that, man, we're all living under quite a bit of pressure right now, aren't we? Uh, I've been doing a lot of writing and, um, and I'm desperately hoping to do my very best to pastor us through this particular challenging uh, year or so coming up. Um, I'm, I'm praying like you've n- never had before. Um, but I, I was writing some stuff that I may send out. We'll just see. I'm working on it. Uh, but I was thinking, I was writing this guy, man, I thought the Christchurch earthquakes were my big once-in-a-lifetime event that were really tricky to navigate and were really, you know, intense and took about seven or eight years for us to finally get out of uh, in terms of the flow and effects and all the pressure that we felt and how horrific that was. And then it's like, oh, I feel like we've just sort of come out of that. And it's like, wow, okay, that was a regional thing. And this is like a global thing. And there's so much going on right now uh, that um, I think it's probably a wise thing for us to have this conversation around what does it look like to be, um, to normalize the conversation around mental health. Um, and I've tragically, as a pastor, taken many funerals because of suicide and, um, and had my heart broken a number of times through this uh, Interestingly, uh, the suicide stats were actually down last year, um, and that's awesome. Whether that trajectory continues or not, there was some 
um, theories around the fact that lockdowns and stuff forced a whole lot of proximity that may have saved some people's lives, um, but then that may have switched over now to, <laughs> you know, a lot of pressure because of all the lockdown. I'm not sure. Um, but this is a place where I would love us to be brutally honest uh, about all this sort of thing, uh, all this sort of, these sort of topics. Um, I've been reading a fascinating book in preparation for this called Finding Jesus in the Storm, The Spiritual Lives of Christians with Mental Health Challenges. And in this book, the author John Swinton says this, you can live authentically with depression. We need to find language to talk about depression that is spiritually meaningful for people rather than the falsities of happiness. False happiness is a terrifying thing if you are depressed because it is something you actually learn to mimic to survive. And if you start mimicking your spiritual life, then you're in real trouble. <laughs> then you're in real trouble. So thankfully the Bible uh, helps us here because uh, if you read the Bible well, you'll notice there's a fair bit of depression in the Bible. <laughs> Anyone that's not depressed is probably going to walk out depressed uh, if, you're not, if I'm not too careful here. Listen to some of the uh, stuff here from uh, David. In Psalm 42 verse 11, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Isn't that a great uh, sort of way of articulating what sometimes it can feel like? And also, I just want to say, actually, before we go much further, when it comes to things like depression or when it comes to all of these mental health things, there's a full-on spectrum, right? So it's like some of us have just, you know, flat days or whatever. Some of us have full-on depression. And depression isn't like where you... Uh, feel sad, depression's where you feel nothing. <laughs> it's like an anti-feeling uh, and everything in between. And, uh, and so when it comes to my own journey with battling with, with um, maybe a, a um, depressive disposition, um, I thankfully haven't had to be on medication or anything like that. I haven't had sort of, ex but it's because I've worked quite hard to spot it early and I've had some good parents modeling some good stuff for me on all of that stuff. Um, so, again, and we'll talk about medication in a second, but um, let's look. So, David, Elijah, uh, you know, again, Elijah, Jonah, and Jeremiah got suicidal. Um, I've had enough, Lord, he, uh, Elijah said, take my life. I'm, I'm no better than, I'm not better than my ancestors. Jonah, now, oh Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jeremiah, curse be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? It's like, oh, okay, Ooh, tough, tough day, guys, you know. Um, beautifully, they didn't follow through on their, um, their feelings of, Lord, just take my life, um, which is uh, super important to note um, that we may feel like that. But they, and again, the beauty here and the wisdom that we can find in the Scriptures is that they're bringing it to God. They're running to Him with their genuine, authentic feelings rather than running away from Him. Uh, in the Bible, we've got um, a whole lot of what's called lamentations, uh, prayers for help coming out of pain, very common in the Bible. Over one-third of the Psalms are laments. Psalm 6, verse 3, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? <laughs> Some of us are praying that right now, whether that's through the COVID stuff or just through stuff we're going through. Psalm 38, all my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds and my strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. This is a real person writing real pain into a song of lament. This is not just fluff stuff here, friends. This is deep stuff. Deep stuff in the scriptures. Uh, in the book of Job, uh, we see a whole lot of laments. The prophets cry out. Um, uh, and then you've got the whole book of Lamentations. And um, now I know that uh, normally in, we are going to lift ourselves up out of the Lamentation depressive zone. We're in fret not. And you know, beautifully, 
Every single psalm of lament, except for one exception, finishes with their eyes lifted to God, filled with hope. I'm going to say that one more time. Every single psalm of lament, except for one, finishes with their eyes lifted up to the God of hope. Hallelujah. So, uh, but here's, here's what I do want to say. In the Western church, we have lost the theology of lament. We have lost lament in our culture of our church. And so therefore, uh, we struggle sometimes to know how to walk with wisdom in a Christian way, in a biblical uh, following Jesus spirituality, in a, in a way that's authentic to the script. We've got very little examples and paradigm in our modern church. Um, and we, I think we need to restore something of that because it's like one of the most healing things you can do is lament well. <laughs> that's going to help you navigate through tough patches of mental health or just tricky lifetimes in general is to be deeply authentic. We have to be deeply authentic. Um, it's interesting, in Nehemiah, uh, we have this situation where Nehemiah is grieving because the temple's been destroyed. And in Nehemiah verse 1, verse 4, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So when Nehemiah hears of this horrific thing that's taken place, like his heart's broken, and he doesn't rush past the feelings of grief and mourning and lament. For some days he mourns and fasts and prays before the God of heaven. But then after that, he's like, now we've got to put some plans in place to move forward. And here's the wisdom, is that we can fall into two ditches here. We can fall into the ditch of triumphalism, which is uh, in our Western church, one of the great dangers where it's like when we're feeling under the pump, we can be like, no, I can do all things who strengthens me, and no, I've got this, and no, 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 and, and a lot of that triumphalism simply denial dressed up as Christian faith. It's denial of your circumstances dressed up in hyperfaith. That is not biblical wisdom. The other ditch that we can fall into is absolute melancholy. There is no hope and utter despair. The Bible calls us to, uh, to deep and true faith that is authentic and brutally honest. I love that. It's authentic and, dis and brutally honest, and it still holds on to hope. That is the Christian faith. Brutally honest and yet holds on to faith. You know, uh, I was listening to... Um, one of my favorite Christian artists from the 90s, a guy called Kevin Prosh, who um, just was, was, you know, number one worship leader for me in my 90s. Tragically, he had a whole lot of moral failure in his life that um, he's still paying the consequences for in terms of public, a lot of, you know, profile of ministry anyway. But um, he was a guy who was very, very broken. And, uh, and he wrote song, songs of lament in the 90s when no one else was doing this, partly because of just the pain he was going through. And he wrote this song, which I was listening to last night. When you've been broken, broken, this is a worship song. When you've been broken, broken to pieces, and your heart begins to fade because you don't understand, and when there's nothing to rake from the ashes, and you can't even walk onto the fields of praise, but I, I bow down and I kiss the sun. I, I bow down and I kiss the sun. That's lament. It's like brutally honest. And yet it's walking towards God. It's bowing down before him and worshiping him. Yeah. 
one of the, one of the trickiest things about being a pastor is that you feel what your people are going through. And I've been feeling it last night. I was feeling it. I'm feeling it this morning because I know some of you are going through things that is tough. And you need a lament. You need a lament. You need to like pour it out in brutal honesty before the Lord. And you need to just, and you, and, and you need to not succumb to the temptation of denial. Thank you. <laughs> I actually just want to take a moment now. I feel like God's here. And, um, and pray for those of you that are going through either, whether it's mental health or whether it's circumstantial outside of your mind, stuff that's really tough right now. And I just want to pray that God would minister to you. I just sense he's in the room doing that. Father, just come and we'll just embrace those that right now are going through really, really tough times. We just, I, just, I want us desperately to be the church that sees what the Spirit of God does and just blesses what the Spirit of God does. John 5, 19, Jesus said, I just do what I see my Father doing. That was how he operated in ministry. And so um, I'm praying that God interrupts us a whole lot more over this coming season because we need him more than we've ever needed him before. And what a, thank you, church. Let's continue to grow in confidence just to minister, to encourage one another. I'm going to have to trim my talk. That's fine. Um, so as we look at all of this stuff, um, what's wonderful is that there's a lot of wisdom and research into depression today. Uh, and what is, I absolutely love is that the, the research that's coming out around how we can navigate and out of depression, but also how we can avoid sliding into depression, is all just biblical wisdom. <laughs> I love it. Like I'm reading books, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so what we're all about. This is actually, it's incredible. Um, I do want to just quickly mention this across our series. Um, we are here speaking as pastors, not doctors. So um, I, I am not going to talk about psychopharmacology. That is not my lane, okay, uh, at all, and I'm, I'm well aware of that. Um, but I am a big fan of walking in wisdom, uh, whatever that looks like. And if you are in a real pickle, I would say it's, it's a good idea to talk to your GP. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I personally am not a pastor that believes in the hyper-faith thing. Uh, I believe that um, medicine is a gift from God, hallelujah, and that he's actually the work of his hands, uh, he works through very intelligent people, like doctors and scientists and nurses, to, to help us. And so um, I'm, I've got no, uh, you know, you'll hear from like Bron Tate, who's going to speak in a couple of weeks, been a pastor all of her life, and she's been on medication at times. Uh, it's, there's no judgment, there's no, uh, I think we just want to walk with wisdom, and sometimes it's a wise thing to talk to your GP. But what I do want to speak to, which I can speak to with some authority, is some of the biblical wisdom around this stuff. And every time I feel, and I'm, I probably, I was like, oh no, we need to preach this, I need to hear myself preach this, I have to deal once more with my hypocrisy around my theory and my practice and all this sort of stuff. Because every time I've struggled over the last 20 years, feeling my mind uh, not become my friend anymore, it's a good way of looking at mental health stuff, um, uh, the invitation has been to move, to, to learn to live slightly differently. As I said last week, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you'll always, you've always got. And so the gift sometimes of hitting the wall a bit is that it's an invitation to walk in greater wisdom around how we live day to day. And actually, it's a wise thing to respond to that invitation. If we don't make some sort of changes, you'll continue to get what you've always got. 
The gift of pain is to invite us into a greater wisdom in terms of how we live our lives. And so uh, I've had to, at those times where I've hit the wall to at times accept my limitations, both relationally, uh, uh, my capacity as a human being. I am not God. I have limitations. Jesus, when he stepped in, into flesh, had relational limitations, physical limitations, and he honored those. Um, and the reality is if I keep trying to just dig deep and dig deep, I am borrowing from the future, and I will have to pay that back. And most of the time, my observations pastorally, as I've guided many people through seasons of tricky mental health, has been that as long as you've struggled with it, that's as long as it normally takes to get out of it. There's a long journey out. It's not a, we live in that microwave, Rachel Hunter, it, will, you know, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen as we begin to work a new plan. And this is where I jokingly call it, and Jen knows this, a new man plan. <laughs> and so when I hit the wall, I need to get the journal out and go, I need to change how I'm living. So I need a new plan for how I'm going to live my days and my weeks. Things have to change. And so uh, what helps us within this is actually looking upstream to the causes of depression and this is where this mental health series is going to be applicable to every single one of us because the wisdom around how to navigate out of depression but also how to avoid depression uh, is applicable for us all. And it's all biblical wisdom. And I'm drawing, uh, again this morning, from two books. Do you want to bring them up? Uh, that one I've already mentioned, Finding Jesus in the Storm, the best Christian work, I think, on mental health stuff. Uh, but secondly, a book that I've mentioned before called Lost Connections, which I found incredibly helpful. Uh, again, not by, uh, not by a Christian guy, but uh, by a journalist who uh, began uh, in, in working through doing some investigative journalism and wrote this book out of it after talking to uh, a whole lot of scientific uh, folk. And in that book, he identifies, uh, this is research-based, evidence, scientifically verified causes of depression. And of those causes, one of them is to do with the chemistry in your brain, serotonin, and all that sort of stuff, which is a huge amount of what we hear, but it's only one of, of nine causes. So I can't speak to, the, again, the psychopharmaceutical side of things, but I can speak to the other eight, which are fascinating. Again, this is not... This is scientific stuff. And here's what they, uh, scientists are saying are the causes of depression. So this is what I'm really interested in as a person who wrestles with this myself, and this is going upstream. So in ten, the 10 minutes I've got remaining, uh, <laughs> um, here we go. So the first one's disconnection. What will cause you to be depressed is disconnection from meaningful work. Uh, and again, what is the, we've, uh, Ryan did a fantastic sermon of this on lockdown. We believe that all work is sacred. That in Genesis 2, before the fall, the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work at it and take care of it. Work precedes the fall. How cool is that? And so uh, in the book, uh, there's a, a book there um, called Every Good Endeavor, which is a great book to read uh, on this. Uh, Tim Keller says this, the book of Genesis leaves us with the striking truth that work was part of paradise. Ben Worthington does a whole bunch of work on this, a kingdom perspective on labor, but he sums it up. It is perfectly clear that God's good plan always included human beings working or more specifically living in the constant cycle of work and rest, work and rest. And the age to come, work and rest. Will be, uh, and so uh, I can't preach this message, but this is biblical theology. 
a wise Christian has a very developed theology of work. If you don't have that yet, can I encourage you to have a uh, listen to Ryan's talk, uh, to read those books, or to come to me. I've got a whole sermon series I could give you that will help you develop a theology that will see how beautiful your work really is in terms of partnering with God to bring good into the world. So cool. Second thing uh, is disconnection from people. This will cause us to be depressed. Now, this is real tricky because when you're feeling depressed, what you want to do is isolate yourself from people. And in our world today, we live increasingly isolated lives. The reality is that most of our hurt in life comes through relationships. The most wounds my heart carries is through the pain of relationships that have got broken. It's the thing that's wrecked my heart more than anything. But interestingly, most of our healing comes through relationships as well. Most of our healing comes through relationships as well. And so isolating ourselves uh, is, uh, is incredibly, um, vu- makes us very vulnerable to depression. Um, now, the tricky thing is that, again, when you feel like you don't have a lot of gas in the tank, um, leaning into relationships can feel tricky. It's like, oh. Um, and so, it's, again, it's about baby steps sometimes to actually lean in. Um, but when you are feeling healthy, and there'll be a whole chunk of people in a good space right now, this is a community only because you choose to initiate community. Community doesn't happen unless people in this room make an effort to invite people around to have a feed, <laughs> invite people around to watch the game. Like community doesn't have, like I can't, we can, me and Jen can do our best in our leadership, but actually the health of this community is on those that are in a healthy place to create places of beautiful community. I remember when we planted the church, we ran interest gatherings and people signed up to be part of our launch team and then we'd do coffee with them. And then I realized, oh no, no one knows each other, but they know us. So we thought we better start having barbecues so that we have a community. And some of you were there. Our first barbecue was the most awkward barbecue I've ever been to. It was just like full awkward, no one really, and everyone was just capped in awkward. Fast forward a year or so and it's beautiful. There's this rich community that's formed. You, go to a, you come to our camp, you leave with a rich community in your heart. But, but friends that are in a good place, can especially with what we're going through, let's lean into home churches and to social gatherings and create places of rich communion together. And I love that that happens, all these things that uh, are initiated. It's interesting, and uh, uh, the author, Jonathan Hari, in his book, Lost Connections, says, in 10 short years between 1985 and 94, active involvement in community organizations fell by 45%. People are just like, they used to be like everyone was part of a club. No one's part of clubs anymore. Very few people are part of clubs anymore, you know. Uh, there's this increased isolation that uh, is occurring in our, uh, in our uh, world. What's interesting in the book Lost Connections is that they're trying to say, like, if you want, like, good antidepressants um, aren't just medi- necessarily medication. Good antidepressants is choosing to get a good theology of your work, is choosing to hang out with some people. Uh, and, it's, and in this book especially, they're saying the most healthy thing you can do for your mind is hang out in a diverse community. Because it's very easy to uh, form communities where people are mostly the same. Greenpeace are mostly the same type of person. Gangs are mostly the the same type of person. Rugby clubs are often similar sort of people, you know, and people into, um, you know, Minecraft are a little bit the same. And so there's a whole, uh, not to mention Pokemon Go, uh, Matt Tan. So there's all sorts of, um, there's all sorts of, but what they're like, actually, if you want to be really healthy, you've got to get in a diverse community. And the book really struggled to give examples of a diverse community. Hello, church. 
Hello, church. We've got Greenpeace members and gang members and we've got people that like Pokemon Go and we've got people who vote left and people who vote right and vex and non-vex and anti-vex and all the rest. It's like, you name it, this community's filled with it and how beautiful is that? That's something we actually need a treasure. It's tricky, especially at the moment, but this is, we're unified in Jesus and your mental health is going to be stronger because you're part of this community. Hallelujah. Let's keep moving. A disconnection from meaningful values will make you depressed. Not having a framework of ethics of right and wrong this will cause depression. And man, you see that in our society, right? Like God did not give us ethics and morals to ruin our fun. He gave us ethics and morals to protect our hearts and see us flourish. Everything he says is motivated by love and leads us to life. And so I, I willingly yield myself to the ethics and morals of the Bible. And, uh, and I'm in the process of being sanctified. And when I make mistakes and mess it up, I run to the throne of grace and receive mercy in my hour of need. It's all good news with Jesus. And so again, if you're wrestling with, we, we need to come back to this. The, uh, I think the church need to, needs to find a, a, a restore something of this thing of like, we are a church that believes in a moral framework. We are a people that believe in ethics. And you know what shapes that? The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. The teachings of and example of Jesus Christ. Like that's what shapes us. And so if you're wrestling with that in terms of like clarity on your ethical worldview, just immerse yourself in the Sermon on the Mount. Read it, reread it, journal it, write it in your own language, get out commentaries, immerse yourself there and, and begin to live out from a strong ethical framework. It'll be a good antidepressant. Uh, uh, I don't know what number I'm up to. This is a big one. Um, disconnection from childhood trauma uh, is, will cause depression. And uh, this is, a, again, I, I'm, I'm not a trained counsellor. We have people like Jean here in the room um, who is a trained counsellor, and she is more than happy. Jean doesn't counsel people in our church, but she will guide you to people that you can talk to and give you a framework to work through maybe some childhood trauma in your life. Jean, would you mind just waving your hand in the air? She is a qualified counsellor. Uh, she will help you. So she's at the back there and would be more than happy to chat to you after the service. Um, but again, when you follow the way of Jesus, Jesus will bring brokenness to the surface so that he can bring his healing, so that he can bring his healing. That is a tough journey. That is a tough journey. But without taking that deep, tough journey, you are very vulnerable to depression. And if you have the courage, and we again are a community filled with the Holy Spirit where he gives us the courage to walk through stuff, as you, if you can walk through that stuff, you will come to a place of greater wholeness in your mind because of taking that journey. So three things that you can do uh, to ask the Lord to help you and grant you patience. It's not easy to work through these hard memories that you have uh, and you do not do this alone. The Lord walks alongside you as you search for healing. The second thing is to talk to a licensed counselor, which I've just mentioned. And the third thing is to allow yourself to grieve, to write your own psalms of lament as you reflect on the brokenness that you experienced in your life. Choosing to deny this part of your life will make you very vulnerable to depression. Uh, let's move again quickly. Um, disconnection from status and respect will cause you to, to be depressed if you feel like you're constantly looked down on. This is, again, the beauty of the gospel, is the gospel declares that you are worth somebody, you are somebody worth dying for. How beautiful is that? Like, that truth is gospel truth. That you are loved, you're precious, and that you've been adopted into God's family. You are now a prince or princess because he's the king. <laughs> Oh, it's all very Disney, isn't it? But, but, how, but how much of a challenge is that 
like we can cognitively say yes to the theology of that as I say it out loud. Is that a reality in your heart? That's again a journey of our life, as, a, as believing in who we are in Jesus. And then it doesn't matter what people say about you, because you're like, yeah, sweet bro, king of kings though. I'm a prince, you know, king is my father, you know, pretty big deal. He created the universe, pretty sweet. Like I've, he died for me, that's how precious I am. Like that's when that starts becoming, I think I've survived partly as a pastor in the tricky years, and I'm probably going to have to lean on this a whole lot over the next little while. And so I'm just going to have to keep reminding ourselves, it's what you think about me, God, that matters. It's what you think about me, and that's going to protect my mental health. And so, again, this is where my mother was very smart. This, again, the tricky thing with all this, all this mental health stuff is it's, you can hear sermons and talks. It's applying it to your life. That's the challenge. It's the application that brings the transformation. And my mum modelled brilliant application because she got a whole lot of Derek Prince declarations that she just had a list of. And she would get up in the morning, every morning, and read them out loud over her mind and just speak truth of who she was. I'm like, that is awesome. That's not just someone getting swum along by cultural currents. That's someone declaring the truth of who they are over themselves. Last couple of things, disconnection from the natural world. Oh, this is, a, this is actually hugely biblical. Um, I've, I've preached a whole message on this, and I'd love everyone, if they haven't listened to this, listen to it, on what does it mean as a Christian to have a sacramental worldview where we see the goodness of God in all of creation, where we have that, that cup of beautiful wine, if you can drink, and some of you shouldn't. But if those of you where you're in a safe place where you can do that, where you savor that as the gift of God, where you, like, your heart responds in worship to that great steak you're eating, where you look at, where you look at the na- nature or whatever it may be, and again, a sacramental worldview sees the grace and goodness and beauty of God dripping everywhere. And what's happened in the church uh, is there's been a dualism between spiritual and unspiritual, this divide that says certain activities are spiritual, certain things are unspiritual, and we'll have had these boxes that we've put things in, but that was never the way we're meant to live. The biblical theology uh, of a sacramental worldview says that we believe in a good God who created all things. And yes, there's brokenness and evil in the world, but it's drenched in goodness. Literally, next time you have a coffee, savor it. And if you're into that thing, and just be like, wow. And then think about the whole process that got to that point. It's like someone came up with the idea of coffee beans, and someone thought about burning them, and then someone thought about crushing them up, and then someone dropped them in the, you know, in a bottle of water one day, and then someone was like, that's amazing. And, and now we've got this whole art form around coffee, and that's the sort of, it's like, and it all traces back to the glory and goodness of God. That's a sacramental worldview. Wrote, you know, you could put, uh, Pete Scazzaro did this on a Sabbath once. Oh, I'm sorry, Charlotte. Uh, he was in McDonald's and he was like, because he took his kids there and he was washing his hands in the water. And then he just became overwhelmed with the beauty of the moment. Like the water, like how beautiful is water and how amazing it is coming out of the tap. And it's so cleansing and it's cold. And it's like, that's a sacramental worldview. You guys think it's nuts, right? We have drifted so far from a sacramental worldview that we're so impoverished in in terms of seeing the goodness and beauty of God everywhere. I pray a sacramental worldview would just be formed in you so that you are consistently in awe of the goodness of God. And again, a disconnection from the natural world means a bit of detachment from these sorts of things and going for a bit of a walk. It's tough when Jen's in the front row because she'd love to do all that and I'd love just to mooch on this all day. (laughs) 
Lastly, second to lastly, and I'm going to just have to wrap it up, disconnection from a hopeful or secure future. Of course, this is biblical theology. Easter Sunday says that we have a hope. We have a hope. And while we may go through all sorts of suffering in the world, that is not the end of the story. He is going to come again in glory. And he's restoring and renewing all things. And one day he will bring the work to completion. And we are the inaugurated eschatology people, which means that we see that future reality break into the presence, into our own lives now, and into the community around us, spilling over into the city and region. We see that future kingdom break into the present. We are a hope-based people who bring the hope of God. And I speak that over you, particularly if you're struggling with your mental health. Do not lose hope. He has good plans into your future. He doesn't, doesn't mean there's no suffering. It means that he's with you and doing a good work as he shapes and transforms you from glory to glory. And the last, um, the last thing is, of course, um, the, uh, the role of, of gene and, uh, genes and brain changes, which, again, I can't speak to. I have no uh, qualifications when it comes to that thing. But that's, that's only one of nine causes of depression which is most of the time we've thought this is just a brain problem, and I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying there's, according to the data and science, there's all these other causes of depression. And actually to walk into a place of flourishing and, and to walk wisely means that we all consider what it looks like to have new men and women plans to apply the wisdom of Scripture into our lives more and more and more. So how do we live this out? Well, the beautiful thing is that you are not alone. We are a community together that's going to cheer each other on in this journey. And if you're feeling really, really tough, like, again, I'm just trying to normalize the conversation. Like, this is a place where I'm praying it's safe to be honest. It's a tragedy that churches haven't been safe places, to be honest, for, for, for many of us. This is a safe place to be brutally honest. You know what God's looking for? Worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. He is the truth. Truth is our friend. And so good mental health is actually accepting the reality of where we're at and being able to articulate it with someone with no fear. Our, our, you know, our healing isn't found in our strengths. God's power is made perfect in weakness. It's in vulnerability that we find healing. And so can I implore you, if you're going through tricky times, to tell somebody, tell somebody, to talk about it. And you know what? It gets easier and easier and easier now I can talk about this stuff regularly with Jen, with my best mate Nick, who I'm on the phone with about four times a week as a pastor, <laughs> with therapy together a lot of the time. And it's like we can just normalize that it's not scary anymore for me to talk about this stuff. And, uh, but it takes courage initially because the devil wants to keep you quiet. And the enemy wants to say you're the only one struggling this much. And the enemy wants to isolate you. But if you can normalize this conversation, it's the first courageous step into a place of healing. So you are not alone. Uh, secondly, we have the Holy Spirit with us. He, we are, again, we have, he's like, like this morning, he's here, he's filling us. Thank you, Jesus. And so I don't have to find that courage on my own. Holy Spirit, give me the courage to have the conversation I need to have. Holy Spirit, give me insight to what's going on. Holy Spirit, help me have just enough gas in the tank to have the grace that I need for today. Holy Spirit, give me the strength to journal what I need to journal in my little songs of lament. Whatever, the, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. Uh, and lastly, we have hope because God is with us. God is with us. I finish with this again from this book, um, about mental health from John Swinton. He said this, The power of the incarnation is God's empathetic movement into the suffering of the world. 
We're going to talk about this in Advent. That line messes me up. The power of the incarnation is God's empathetic movement. That's his heart into the suffering of the world. God, the incarnation now is God's empathetic movement. As he was ministering to you before, he wants to empathetically move into your suffering and hurt and pain. That's his heart. Why for two things? A, to reveal a solidarity that we were not aware of before. He understands what it's like to go through this stuff. And second, to share in human suffering in a way that gives hope to the pain of death and suffering and creates streams of possibility even within the most hopeless of situations. He steps into the most hopeless of situations and then he can do what only Jesus can do. And I'm standing here as a testament before you that he's so good. He's so good. I'm so grateful for the way that he's led me. And, I'm, and, and, and again, full disclosure, this is an ongoing battle, and it probably will be until the day when he brings the work to completion. Hallelujah. I am not here to offer false hope that you're going to be absolutely zingy and perfect if you just apply ABC steps to your life. No. This, for many of us, will be a struggle until the day we die, but we can. the question is the trajectory. I want to move towards places of life. I want to move where, to places where my mind is my friend. I want to move towards having the mind of Christ, as the Bible says. And the mind of Christ isn't filled with anxiety and depression. I want to move towards that. And I need his grace and his wisdom and his spirit to do that. Amen? Amen. So this morning as we finish, uh, I love that God's here and he wants to bring hope. And there is a way forward uh, and we can move towards a wholeness of, of mind and, and soul. Um, and, uh, but there's no cookie-cutter approach. We are complex creatures. Um, but I love the Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those, saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let me finish in prayer. And I'd love just to continue to, get to offer the opportunity for ministry if you are feeling particularly vulnerable at the moment. And that doesn't have to be with mental health stuff. It can be in any way, shape, or form. This is, it's a wise thing to do, to respond, uh, to walk in vulnerability and humility and say, I need more of him. I need more of him. And if that's your heart, uh, after I've closed, uh, do you want to come and sit in the front row and a bunch of us would just love to pray. Just love to pray that God will keep ministering his hope and his life into you. Amen? Let's pray.